the blue line, leaves it, Kale McCarr, winds, fires, SCORE! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net, what a save made by Philip Grubauer, just outstanding stuff, I am Grubauer! And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome in everyone out there in a jubilant avalanche land. This is Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, JJ. Alongside me is world-famous Arif Dean. Arif, you've been trying to find a way to go viral. You finally did it. How does it feel? It feels great. I want to thank all my fans out there and, you know, (laughs) just let my mom know that we made it and you know, I don't know where life goes from here. It can't go any higher. Yeah, you didn't get much credit, but, you know, what I'm talking about is that fantastic question you asked Nathan McKinnon that I think the entire hockey world heard his answer to, and that's him kind of pumping his own tires about his fitness and uh, how he was ready to be buzzing the, the next night. And, I mean, he was. He played over 25 minutes. He had a lot of shots. The only problem was Darcy Kemper was also buzzing, so uh, he couldn't really stick to his word and, you know, defeat the Coyotes that game, but... Like I said, I mean, he, he, he gave the great answer to the question uh, in order to make me go viral. But, you know, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is my question led to his answer. So I'll take the credit for that one. Yeah, classic hockey response. Let's let's defer it, right? Um, but also seen across the hockey <laughs> world was, I guess, the message the Avalanche really sent today. I mean, we're coming to you following the Avalanche's 7-1 to one Game 4 victory over the Arizona Coyotes. Um, you know, for a second, the Coyotes looked like they were going to be posing a threat, but Avalanche are now firmly in the driver's seat going up 3-1 here. Yeah, uh, that was a tough goal for Grubauer to let in. Uh, their power play is no longer perfect, which is, un- I'm just kidding. They they scored seven goals. I mean, they, they went up 3 to nothing in the first period. They did exactly what they had to do in response to a game where a goalie was starting to build confidence as the game went on, making 49 saves. And they had to get on him early, and they had to do it as, as soon as they can and, and score any kind of goal in any type of way. And it ended up being a redirection off of the the skate of Matt Nieto to which uh, somebody in a press conference asked him if he's ever played soccer before and made Nieto laugh because he literally redirected the puck in with a skate without doing the kicking motion. So that's the kind of goal you need to beat a hot goalie who's got a lot of confidence and that's the kind of goal you need to start a 7-1 drubbing and that's exactly what that Nieto goal did. Eventually the Avalanche started to tack on those power plays. Nazem Kadri got on the board twice so that's exactly what you had to do coming out of that game. That's what makes the NHL playoffs what they are. I mean, it's not the NFL where some underdog team can come, just win one game, and suddenly they're moving on in the playoffs. The Avalanche are just the better team, and we kind of knew throughout this series that it just felt like the Coyotes' strategy and their structure just wasn't going to be sustainable. And today, I thought, was the pivotal moment. And the, the, the pivotal moment in today's pivotal game, I thought, and was the breakthrough moment was when the Avalanche were up one nothing, right? And suddenly the Avalanche go on the power play. The Coyotes could have killed it, gone back down, scored one, tied it up, and I think we're looking at a completely different hockey game. But 
that power play where Nazem Kadri scored his first of the night, I think was the pivotal moment in the series. And going up 2-0 is much, much bigger for your team's confidence than, you know, if the Coyotes were to have tied it 1-1. So that second goal, I think, while, yeah, Nazem Kadri's getting a lot of praise for his game today, I think that was more of the pivotal moment rather than Matt Nieto getting kind of a lucky bounce there. For sure. I, I mean, one-goal games are simply nothing but exactly that. It's a one-goal game, and one goal could ultimately change the tune of the entire game and the way it's going. But that Kadri goal really put a damper on, on any confidence the Coyotes had at that point, considering they were stuck at three shots for what seemed like forever after being stuck at zero for what seemed like, obviously, 11 minutes. Uh and then obviously Kadri added that second power play goal before the final buzzer in the first period, uh, something he really likes to do. I mean, he only scored 21 minutes, 21 seconds before the before this buzzer sounded this time, so it's not as good as he usually does with the 0.1s, but that first power play goal he scored was exactly what the Avalanche needed to build that two-goal lead, and then the third one, it just the game was over then, you could tell. It's been an offensively frustrating series for the Avalanche so far. I mean, last time we recorded was just before the series, giving you a little preview, and we hit a lot of things on the head. One thing I didn't hit on the head was the play of Darcy Kemper. I mean, we did discuss a little bit how he is capable of stealing you a game here and there. I didn't think he was going to be ready to come out like this, though. I mean, let's get into Kemper's play a little bit. How big of a cog was he in, in what the Arizona Coyotes have done up to this point? I mean, that's the kind of goalie he is. The thing about Darcy Kemper, when we talked about him last week, we mentioned that, I mean, you specifically started off the conversation by saying that he doesn't scare you as much. The thing is about Kemper is he posts great numbers every year. He has those Vezina Trophy type safe percentages and goals against average. He scored, He has a lot of shutouts. What I don't know about him specifically is the fact that he once played for the Minnesota Wild, and he now plays for the Arizona Coyotes. All he has to do is play for Barry Trotz and the Islanders to complete the trifecta of playing in a in a organization that has a system that benefits goaltenders and obviously inflates their stats. So will he post those kind of stats playing on an Ottawa, a Buffalo, or a uh, Chicago like Robert Leonard has and you know still posted 925s? I have no idea. But all I do know is that Darcy Kemper on the Coyotes in this form – he plays great. He has a lot of games like this. Is you know this isn't surprising to Arizona fans. It might be surprising to some Avalanche fans, but he's been doing this for a hell of a long time in Arizona. So I was worried that he would sort of get in the heads of the Avs, but that only lasted about thirty minutes in Game Three because they came out today and they scored some goals and they sort of erased that. In Game One, obviously it took fifty-three minutes to beat him, but then. The floodgates were were open and they scored three in a minute 23 and in game two even though it was a bit of a back and forth game the avalanche still led one nothing led 2-1 and then had the late goal to lead 3-2 so before game three there really wasn't much frustration in my opinion offensively uh if game one had gone a little bit differently that could have you know really set the tone for the series but colorado scoring those three goals really ultimately showed them that that Kemper is a great goalie, but he's not unstoppable, not against a team as highly talented as this. So, I, I mean, I give him a lot of credit, but I think the Avalanche have never really felt frustrated throughout this series, maybe towards the end of Game 3. But other than that, I mean, they stuck to it today. They continued to put the shots on goal, and, and you know, they, they were rewarded, and they scored friggin' seven goals and four of them on Kemper. So, 
uh, I wouldn't say necessarily that they were frustrated. I would say I, I, I was frustrated watching it. I mean, maybe they weren't frustrated as shooters, but I mean, you know, what makes Kemper such a frustrating goalie, especially in this series so far, is yeah, the Avalanche are getting opportunities, they're getting shots on goal, they're hitting a ton of posts, but the frustrating part about Kemper's game is there's there's a spectrum in, in goaliehood, right? You're either um, a reactionary goalie where you, you rely a lot on your reactions or you're a positionary goalie where you rely on the positionary side of it or you're somewhere in between, right? Yeah. Darcy Kemper is very much a positional goalie and a yep. lot of the saves he was making, it's because the Avalanche were hitting him. Now, it's frustrating from the offensive standpoint when you're trying to shoot, you think you got good looks and you're hitting the goalie more so than he's making the save, but that's also a testament to the positional I guess awareness of Kemper and just how strong he is on that side of the game and that's what's made him a good goalie something I guess I just overlooked underestimated not that I've watched so many Coyotes games in in the last you know year or so but I'll eat my words there I, I think Kemper really showed to be a much better goalie than I was expecting yeah and I don't remember if I mentioned this the last time we recorded right before game one but the Avalanche had a two to nothing series lead on the Minnesota Wild in 2014 uh, they pulled everyone's favorite comic relief, Ilya Brizgalov, and they brought in who else but Darcy Kemper, and he won four of the next five games and defeated the Avalanche. So that may not seem like something that matters six years later, but for a goalie playing on a lesser-seeded team, a team that was 11th in the West in the regular season, and a team that, quite frankly, knows they stand no chance in terms of matching the Avalanche skill for skill, talent for talent, that's something that he always has in his back pocket. That's something that says, hey, I was once the eighth seed and I once won four or five games against this team. Why the hell wouldn't I be able to do it again? So I think there was a little bit of a sense of belief inside his head that he could do it. After the first two periods of game one, he probably thought, hey, you know, maybe I could do this. And after game three, he probably thought, you know what, let me just do that one more time. And suddenly it's a two to two series. So those little things matter. Um, but ultimately, it stood no chance against the Avs and their offense. Another thing I thought was a little bit frustrating for the offensive side of things is just the fact that they are a lower seed. They're not even an eight seed. They're lower than an eight seed. Yeah. You expect, and I expected going into the series, almost every game to look like today's game four did. I expected a ton of blowouts. And, you know, the, the Coyotes have just played the Avalanche a lot tighter than... I was anticipating and I think that's because they just play a similar style they have that fast running gun um, you know there's not much physicality to the game you can tell by the the lack of I would guess I would say brutal penalties there's just a lot of hard-working accidental penalties aside from today when we saw McKinnon start roughing some stuff up I think it's been more um, hard-working penalties rather than dumb you know just aggressive penalties and and you know you see it in the play there's long stretches without whistles these are two just very even teams in my opinion in the style the avalanche edge them out with talent and i think that's where ultimately uh, by yeah. a lot by a wide margin and that's the difference right. i mean carl soderberg's one of their top guys now and he was once that here before sakic went out and you know got depth from every single corner of the league right yeah exactly i just think they match up head to head um, a lot better than I anticipated heading in, and for that reason, we didn't see four blowouts, and it's going to be more towards kind of what you were predicting, a five-game series where the, where the Arizona Coyotes do steal one. I mean, obviously, we're counting our chickens a bit early. We still have game five to play, but all signs indicate that that's going to be an avalanche victory as well. 
Yeah, I mean, and even if the Coyotes do come out and steal that game, there's there's not a lot of cause of concern on my end. I mean, if you're the Avalanche, you don't want to play a six or seven game series against this team. You know that you're good enough to beat them in four or five. And in a playoff tournament and playoff bracket like this year because of COVID, where games are mushed together, you're playing back to back to back in three and four and four and six in the playoffs you need all the rest you can get. And for the Avalanche, it's 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 pretty vi- vital for them to win that fifth game and have, you know, four or five days off before the second round, especially if teams like Vegas are planning on doing the same thing to Chicago. You want to make sure you're staying up to par and keeping pace with those teams. Well, let's use this time to look ahead a little bit at the next round. Um, again, we are counting our chickens a bit early. but oh, I, This is going to bite us in the ass, I but feel let's safe. do it. Let's I, do it. I feel safe doing so. And, you know, I, I think, like I said, the, the Arizona Coyotes present a similar matchup, and I think that's what really kind of gave the Avalanche a tough time burying goals in the first three games. I feel the same way about Vancouver. I think Vancouver is, again, a young, fast team can play a very similar style to as Arizona. I think we would see more of, this, more of the same in that series. But again, the Avalanche ultimately edge them out because of talent. So I think I like the Vancouver matchup. I'm a little bit scared of a Dallas Stars matchup just because we know what Dallas can do to the Avalanche as they did earlier in the season. And then the third option is Calgary. Um, that's also still a possibility that, f- that floats around depending on how things shake out. So looking ahead, what do you think is the ideal matchup for the Avalanche in round two? Of those three teams, the ideal matchup is Calgary because you've played them before, you've beat them before. Vancouver is a bit of a uh, wild card where they could be very good and you know match the Avalanche in speed and skill because they have guys like Pedersen and Besser and Quinn Hughes. Or it could be a complete dud in the avalanche, you know, just put the hammer on that team. So you never really know. I feel like they're a wild card. Dallas is probably the least ideal of the three, but I, I got to be honest with you, man. Dallas doesn't scare me anymore. They haven't looked good since the pause, uh, since the NHL restart. They're barely scraping out these wins against Calgary. Uh, yeah, Corey Perry is playing Corey Perry playoff hockey. He's doing a damn good job at it. Uh, but Ben Bishop is still out. Obviously, they still have Hudobin, but... I just don't feel as scared of the Dallas Stars as I did maybe two weeks ago, you know, on, on August 1st, before the games began. Um, the only two teams that scare me are, number one, Vegas, which would be a complete track meet of a amazing series against the Avalanche at one point or another, and the St. Louis Blues. Uh, even though I feel the Avalanche can beat the Blues, it's still going to be a grind out, you know, pretty much the series that we are seeing against the Arizona Coyotes, except with a lot more skill and Stanley Cup champion pedigree uh, and our old friend Ryan O'Reilly. So there's just not many teams that scare me in the West outside of Vegas and St. Louis. But if you had to ask me from those three teams, I think that Calgary would be the best bet of a of a fun rematch between the Avs and the Flames. I'm with you. I like that analysis. And Looking across the league these last couple weeks, I mean, there's really only three teams, and that kind of sunk in just, I guess, yesterday for me. There's only three teams I think can really realistically go all the way and get this done, and that's Colorado, Vegas, and Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, I can see that as well. I, uh, You're always going to look at teams like the Islanders and the Blues as those teams that can just stop an offensive juggernaut dead in their tracks. Uh, there's coaching battles out there that could stop you dead in your tracks. Don't forget the Boston Bruins. 
Uh, granted, it would be a lot harder considering that Halak is now their starter because Tukarask is uh, has gone home uh, for you know very very you know acceptable reasons. Um, but on that note, I mean. In the NHL, you want the teams like the Vegases and the Tampa Bays and the Colorados to be the teams that are playing for the Cup every year because those are your highly offensive juggernaut teams. Those are your your uh, Kansas City Chiefs of the of the NHL that you hope can you know continue to go out there and play an exciting brand of hockey or for the Chiefs' case, football. So. I agree with you on that sense, and that's why uh, those were the two teams that I were keeping an eye on at the beginning of the year was Colorado and Tampa Bay. I wouldn't count out Philadelphia as a fun offensive team. Granted, their their secondary scoring has been a little iffy, uh, but I'm with you on that, man. I mean, there isn't many teams that scare me. Tampa Bay is one of the teams that scare me as someone that I think can beat the Avalanche. Uh, Vegas is somebody that I think can beat the Avalanche, um, but either way, I'd welcome any one of those series. I'm glad you brought up the point of coaching battles because that's uh, one more thing I wanted to get into looking back at the Colorado-Arizona series. And, you know, there's tons of battles we're watching. And the Darcy Kemper versus Philip Grubauer. Avs power play versus Coyotes penalty kill. Nathan McKinnon versus the, the top defensive pairing with Jarmelson on it. Um, but I think one of the, the biggest battles that are going unnoticed right now is the coaching battle between Rick Tockett and Jared Bednar. And most notably is just the, the defensive structure that the Coyotes are playing and how Jared Bednar has to kind of react, match up lines, and kind of do his best to, to break down that strong system that Rick Tockett's got his team playing. Yeah, and uh, and, and and that's the thing that I, that I figured uh, – the Coyotes would have was Rick talking in their back pocket playing that kind of a defensive game. His roster is built for him to do that. Uh, from Soderberg to, uh, I mean, outside of, let's say, Clayton Keller, Taylor Hall, and Phil Kessel, all of their forwards are more defensively sound two-way guys from Christian Dvorak to uh, to Christian Fischer to uh, Carl Soderberg to all these guys. That's the kind of game they play. Even Connor Garland is more of a defensive stalwart even though he could score goals. And then on the blue line, you have your... Nicholas Chalmersons and your Oliver Ekman Larsons and all these guys on the back end. So he has the reinforcements to play that type of game and he has the reinforcements to to get into a chess match of that sense with Bednar. What I love about what Jared Bednar's done is he's completely not phased by it. He says, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna use my offense and I'm gonna go out there and shoot, 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 and you know, do whatever I can to 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 create as many opportunities and shots as I can. And he's not straight away from that. And Tippett, no matter, or not Tippett, sorry, uh, Rick Tockett, no matter how much he's tried to combat that, he's not able to stop the Avalanche's attack. And like Bednar said today, or McKinnon, I think it was, he said it was only a matter of time before we start to score because we have 50 shots a game. Right. Like I said, it just didn't seem like Arizona's strategy was sustainable. But for a second there, you had yourself second guessing and thinking, all right, is this structure that coyotes run that the coyotes are running is it going to be enough to stop the avalanche for a whole series but clearly today was i think the the real icebreaker maybe even the nail in the coffin i think the coyotes no longer believe in themselves but it was all about today's game i mean if it would have been another close game another 2-1 3-1 finish i think the coyotes would have had a little bit more self-belief than they currently do but i think this series is as good as done yeah and i mean i want to add to that the cool thing about uh about rick talkett i was going to say dave tippett again jesus he was coaching arizona for a long time uh but the cool thing about rick talkett is 
he's just been an absolute gem on these Zoom calls. He's been one of my favorite coaches to listen to because before the series, they asked him uh, if he could, you know, pinpoint the things that the Avalanche are better than the Coyotes at. And he simply responded, do you got an hour? Because they're pretty much better than us at everything. And today he had this quote where he, I don't remember the exact wording. I'm actually going to pull it up. But one of the quotes he had was he talked about how teams in the bubble or, or this bubble format is about teams that want to prove that they want to remain in the bubble. And he said, our team doesn't look like they want to remain. It looks like our team wants to go home. But my favorite quote from today was when he said, listen, we've all been embarrassed in life before. I played hockey. I've been embarrassed. I can't tell you a guy that played well tonight. We were embarrassed. It was men against boys today. So he's just been an absolute gem with the quotes. And, uh, you know, he's speaking from the heart and he's speaking the truth. He knows his team is completely outmatched. And he knows that this was a pretty much near impossible series for him to win. But, you know, why not put up a fight? You're here. You are the 11th seeded team in the Western Conference, and you've been sort of gifted this opportunity to get into the playoffs. You got it. Why not try? And they've tried as hard as they can, and they just can't do it. I just, we spoke, you know, we even titled the last podcast all about fire, and it's fire in your belly. It just seems like Coyotes kind of lacked that for a lot, of the, a lot of the series so far. You saw it a bit today with the McKinnon-Fisher incident, but overall there haven't been many post-whistle scrums. The ones that did ensue really ended, you know, rather peacefully and gentlemanly. Uh, you know, so maybe Tuka Rask was right. I think there might be just a little lack of intensity from some of these teams. The Avalanche aren't one of them. The Avalanche are, are as intense as anybody. But you look at teams like Boston and the, the comments that Tuka Rask made. You look at teams like the Coyotes who seem just not, not necessarily checked out, but just deflated and uninspired. Um, you know, I, I think Tuka Rask was onto something that, yeah, maybe there is a bigger difference in this style of hockey than we're all giving credit. So it's actually funny you mentioned that because I think we talked about this last week on the podcast. You know, Tukarask, like I mentioned earlier, he opted out, he went home, uh, and it happened about an hour before game three of his series, of the Boston series against Carolina. And he cited family concerns as that reason. But the day before, and I'm not, you know, doubting his reasons. It's a very valid reason. He has a newborn at home. But the very, the very, uh, the, the night before when he was interviewed after the second game, he said, I feel like I'm playing an exhibition game. I don't feel like I'm playing playoff hockey because of that lack of atmosphere. But then you look back at an interview from Nazem Kadri uh, when the Avalanche and the Blues were playing in that game where he scored with 0.1 seconds left. And Greg Wyshynski of ESPN asked him, hey, Nazem, usually when a goal like that happens, obviously the crowd erupts. You didn't have that today. And I think I mentioned this last week too. You didn't have that today. You know, were you thinking about that and did it feel weird? And Nazem said, honestly, I was so invested in the game. I didn't even think about it until now. So the Avalanche aren't thinking about that. You know that crowd noise that's getting pumped in for us on TV? I feel like the Avalanche are playing that in their mind to make them feel like they're playing competitive uh, playoff atmosphere hockey so that they can mimic it as much as possible so that they can stick to what's important. And what's important for them right now is to win games and win hockey games. They don't want anything to come in the way of that. So teams like that that are focused on the goal at hand and not really bothered with this outside noise of the fact that you're playing in an empty arena or lack of outside noise i should say um they're the teams that are going to rise to the top and the avalanche are one of those teams right now 
I hate how much we go back and talk about what we mentioned on past podcasts, but last week we broke down the difference in mentalities that the Boston Bruins are approaching this with versus the Avalanche. And I think the Avalanche have the right mindset. It's unmatched across the league. You don't see many teams that are playing right now with this same mindset. And you heard it from Nathan McKinnon earlier. I think it was the same day that your question went viral, but he said, we still got a lot more hockey to play. Even when they had only won, you know, they were only up 2-0. They, he, you know, mentioned, he, he insinuated that they'll be playing a lot more hockey during these playoffs. So he knew that they're getting out of this round. He knows that there's more hockey to play, and he just has the right mentality, and the rest of the team does. And we've said it a thousand times. We'll say it again. I just love where this team's mind is right now. For sure. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing everything you need to do um, on the ice, off the ice, in the Zoom interviews, their post-game comments, their pre-game comments. They're doing everything you need to do to prove that you are a team that is hungry and ready to challenge for the Stanley Cup. And no virus, no four-month pause, no world-changing event is going to change the fact that this team wants to win. And Nathan McKinnon has made that completely clear. He made it clear all season long when he said, for the first time in seven years, I feel like I'm on a team that could actually win the championship. And that hasn't changed. Nothing from this four-month pause, nothing from COVID has changed their mindset. They've come back into this on August 1st as if August 1st was March 13th, the day after the pause. Everything in between, they've erased it from their memory and they've just gone right back to picking up where they left off. Focus, pure focus is what you're seeing out of the Avalanche. 100%. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's the reason they're one of the stronger teams. And like I said, I think there's only three teams that can take it, Tampa Bay, Vegas and the Avalanche and I mentioned last week you might want to jump in on my parlay Vegas and the Avalanche getting out of this first series so far it's looking pretty good um you got any good bets coming up here uh, no but I do remember you said the odds for that were minus 129 so you risk 129 to win 100 I'd imagine that those odds are probably like 1029 right now minus 1000 minus 1100 because both teams are up three to one. It's it's pretty much a, th- a sure thing. Um, but if I had to take any plays, I would say Colorado closing it out in game five, uh, similar to how they did with Calgary last year. Yeah, like I said, it was free money. And not only the, uh, the hockey season can you be winning money, but the basketball season is here too. The regular season was fun and all, but only one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball's playoffs, and that's having skin in the game with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app basketball and hockey has made its way through the regular season now it's time to crown a champion and DraftKings sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action to celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs DraftKings sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet offer for every day that you bet at least twenty dollars on a basketball game DraftKings sportsbook will give you another free ten dollar bet Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including player props, quarter-by-quarter betting, and so much more. Player props are something I've recently discovered, and I'm loving them. You can bet on Nathan McKinnon, shots on goal, Miko Rantanen, how many points he's going to get. I've really found player props to be some free money. Plus, don't forget about hockey playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering great odds and promotions all week long to help you make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe secure and reliable betting app you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience it works a lot like venmo so download the top rated DraftKings sportsbook app now and use code mhs when you sign up for a limited time all users can get a ten dollar free bet 
when placing a bet of $20 or more on all first-round playoff action. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out by offering a $10 free bet when placing a bet of 20 plus on all first-round playoff action. Again, that's promo code MHS only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And per usual, you must be 21 or older. And this is Colorado only. Other terms, conditions, and restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Free bets, odd boosts, parlays. They're always making it awesome for you over there at DraftKings. If you haven't checked it out already, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's made my life. I mean, I stayed up super late last night watching the Vancouver St. Louis overtime just because I had skin in the game. Otherwise, I probably would have turned it off, went to bed. Yeah. Instead, I'm sitting there at the edge of my seat, you know, approaching midnight, just loving yeah. loving the playoff hockey. Why don't you tell us what skin you had in that game because I feel like you went to sleep a little disgruntled because you had the Canucks, I believe, correct? I had the Canucks, but you know, this is why DraftKings is so great. They give you alternate lines. I took the Canucks plus one so going in overtime if the canucks won i'm winning money if the canucks lose i'm getting my money back it's called a push i love it DraftKings give you options to you know be creative about it to where you're not losing all your money all the time go big or go home man but i i, I like that i do like that security blanket and i mean it worked because it, it did exactly what it was supposed to do and it was supposed to give you that safety net so yeah it's cool to see that DraftKings has options like that and thanks for tap dancing there before my ad read. I had to pull it up. I didn't have it pulled up. I made you, made you talk there. So way to be on your toes, Arif. Speaking of being on your toes, oh, look at Nazem Kadri. Look at you. It's time to break down some individual performances so far what a in guy. this series. Nothing too many. Nazem Kadri right now. He's playing like he's got something to prove. Right. I mean, he's playing out of his mind right now. He said it himself. He said, I got a chip on my shoulder, and he wants to prove that he can be the player that he is, and he's doing exactly that. He's got four goals with the Avalanche in seven games in these playoffs, and that's already one more than his entire 19-game playoff career with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, he seems to be... He seems to be out there drawing a penalty every day. He seems to be scoring a game-winning goal every day. He had two more power play goals today. I mean, if you ask me, I know it's a crazy thing to say when you consider Nathan McKinnon and who he is, but your first round, four games in the first round MVP of the playoffs for the Avalanche is not 29. It's 91. It's Nazem Kadri. Uh, he's a hell of a guy. He's a hell of a player. He's winning faceoffs. He's doing literally everything you need him to do, except for not only is he not getting suspended, but he's got a big fat zero where the penalty minute stat line is. That doesn't include Justice Coyote series, but that's in the round robin too. This guy's doing it all. He was acquired for playoff hockey and he is playing his damn best hockey. A comment that really stood out to me from his post-game press conference was just simply mentioning how he's trying his hardest to be more mature this year. I mean, yep. you're seeing it when you compare it to past playoff performances. Obviously, his production is better than ever, but you're seeing just an all-new Nazem Kadri, in my opinion. I mean, it looks like he just crossed a threshold from last year to this year. It was a big wake-up call getting traded from the team he loved being with, you know, and that was a big reason that they got rid of him is because of what he had between his ears and how it would somehow slip away from him. So, you really saw him take a giant step this season, and we're watching it right before our eyes here this playoffs. And yeah, Con Smythe material if the Avs were to go all the way. You can't deny it. Yeah, I mean, eventually at one point or another, Nathan McKinnon is going to come out and remind Kadri and everyone else whose team this is. 
But right now, man, let's let's enjoy what this guy's doing. He's got nine points in seven games. He's 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 doing it all. He's tied with McKinnon in points, but he's got more goals. He's doing he's giving the Avalanche everything they've wanted in a second line center. And God bless Carl Soderberg for all he did for those years where he was sort of thrust into that role. But he wasn't a second line center. Nazem Kadri is a second line center. And we're still kind of waiting on that top line to really take over and win a game single-handedly. It's been nice to have all those other options behind them, but it, it could just be the matchup scenario that we already broke down earlier with the Coyotes. But that top line still needs to come, and once they do, this team's going to be really, really hard to beat, even for the Vegas Golden Knights. Isn't it funny that we say that? That we say that the top line hasn't been the top line that they could be? But all things considered, in seven playoff games, McKinnon's got two goals and nine points. Rantanen has three goals and eight points, and Landis Gog has six points, all assists. So the lesser of the of the three is Gabe, who's a little bit snake bit and probably wants to score a goal or two. But he's got six points in seven games, and then Rantanen and, and and McKinnon are both over a point per game. This team is loaded, man. They're stacked. I mean. A lot of these guys are not playing well in their eyes, in the coach's eyes, in the media's eyes, but they're putting up points and they're putting goals on the board, and that's the craziest part about all of this. Through the last couple days, we had some changes in the lineup, um, some injuries and whatnot. We had Jost in for Donskoy and then Jost in for Nemestikov. How do you feel like the coach has managed the lines? Because obviously he had to juggle a bit, move some guys in, move some guys out, and make sure that the lines are still being effective in in every sense of the word that they can be i mean i think he's doing his best with what he's got right now tyson jost is playing because there is injuries but he's also proving that he belongs in the lineup he's done a good job of of uh of scoring goals of killing penalties of really being a factor when he can be um Nemestikov is probably the least of the guys that you wanted to get injured because in my opinion from the two games that he played against arizona plus the round robin Outside of your top three in Kadri, who we just pumped all their tires a second ago, Nemestikov's the best avalanche forward. And yes, that includes Burakovsky, who's got two goals and three assists. That includes Comfort. That includes Nichushkin. That includes Donskoy, who's got a few goals now, three to be exact. Nemestikov was just that, that X factor in the lineup that the avalanche are going to need down the line. Thankfully, Bednar said he's day-to-day today. So I think Bednar is doing the best he can with the lines right now. I mean, there isn't a lot of injuries. Donskoy missed one game and Nemestnikov's missed two. Knock on wood, compared to this season, that's not bad at all, and I'll take it. Yeah, I think Tyson Jost, you know, he's been playing so good. I think he almost deserved a shot at that second line, in my opinion. I think he even got a little bit of a taste of it. But I like the way, and I've said this a thousand times, I like the way Donskoy and Andre Burakovsky play together. If you got to play them together on the third line, then that's that means Tyson Jost should get a crack at that second line spot. And I think he's played well enough to deserve it. But I think today we saw... Um, Donskoy and Burakovsky on the wings with Kadri in the middle. So we did. He's, yep, he's playing them together, which I like. And I guess it's okay to not have to give Tyson Jost that second line role and responsibility. But I think he's he's up to the task, and the way he's played these last couple games, he's he's deserving of it. And it goes all the way back through training camp, all the way back through the trade deadline. Tyson Jost has that fire in his belly as of late, for sure. And uh, you know, if if I had to, you know create my own lineup with a fully healthy lineup it would probably look a little bit differently and that's just based off the performances in seven games um but you know i i do want to address the elephant in the room and that is that bednar has called out his middle six wingers 
he did it again in game three. He called out Burakovsky, Donskoy, Nachushkin, and Tyson Jost. And Burakovsky played 11.03 last game. It was the least amount of ice time. And even though he's putting up points, he's not playing a complete game. He's not playing defensively, which is something that he's completely lacking in his game right now. Today, he played 10.36. The only guy that played less than him is Nieto at 10.06. Burakovsky's only played 21 minutes of hockey over the last two games. That's a problem. Now, if you ask me, the player that, aside from Burakovsky, hasn't really shown much is Valerie Nachushkin, man. He's not done anything since this pause happened or since the NHL restarted, since the pause ended. He's not providing much on the power play at even strength. And when Nemesnikov comes back, there's going to have to be a big, long talk with Nachushkin about the fact that he probably should be the one that deserves to sit and Joe should be in the lineup. Yeah, that's interesting. And not just guys that from the offensive group that have been struggling, but in my opinion, another guy that needs a swift talking to and maybe even a game out to just watch from the press box is Sam Girard. I think he's having a tough go since the restart. You're seeing him fumble pucks um, a lot, which isn't typical of his style. You're seeing him even knock in an own goal there in game three. So what do you think of Sam Girard? Am I just overreacting or do you think you know there's there's another level that we're missing out of Sam Girard so far? There's definitely another level that we're missing out of Sam Girard. Um, but I wouldn't call it an overreaction, but I would say it's not too much of a concern. I think once he gets his game rolling, he's he's gonna he's gonna show that you know he's the guy that we know him to be. Um, what I've liked about what Bednar has done with the defense, with the de- with the defensive core right now, is he's split up Eric Johnson and Sam Gerrard on multiple on multiple occasions. And the reason why I believe he's done that, and I actually do want to ask him about this, is Eric Johnson has looked pretty good offensively in the playoffs. He's jumping into plays a lot. He's getting his shots through, which he hasn't done since college. <laughs> um, and. Uh, he's providing the avalanche with that extra spark so now you have gerard and johnson who are both jumping into the play so i think bednar went ahead and just split them up and put colin zadorov as a defensive unit with each of them allowing them to jump into the play um so i like what he's doing there and i I wouldn't say you know i wouldn't read too much into sam gerard's play he did have the most ice time among all avalanche players today so uh you know if it's something that he has to work through bednar is going to give him the ice time to do that Right. I mean, let's not forget he's an NHL defenseman, right? He's not, while he brings a lot to the table offensively, his role on the team is to play defense. And I think he's done that just fine. I I honestly don't have too many complaints. But when the puck's on his stick, he just hasn't looked like the same Sam Girard to me. And I just think, you know, there's something that's got to be figured out there because he's a key piece to this team. And he's supposed to be Kale McCarr Jr., right? So, um, you know, if he can get to to being back to the same Girard that we're used to and and being that quick little agile puck mover, then um, this team's going to be buzzing. But I think you have a lot of guys that you brought with you to the bubble to maybe send a little bit of a message to him saying, hey, we need you to play a bit better. But again, I I think it is a bit of an overreaction. I don't think he's playing so bad that he needs to sit, but it's an option. If, if he continues to play this bad, I think it's something you, you need to consider down the road. For sure. And you have guys like Connor Timmins and Mark Barbario and Kevin Connaughton that are obviously seething at the opportunity of playing in this bubble. Uh, 
So it's not something that we have to think about quite yet because the Avalanche are winning. Uh, Gerard will hopefully work through this, but you know, in the long run, in the second, third round, if you run into a situation where a, I mean, a, you're going to run into injuries, but if it's not the injuries, uh, and you run into a situation where you're starting to lose games, maybe you do send that message. Maybe you do something like St. Louis did when they were down two nothing. You know, the game that you had uh, action on yesterday, they were down two to nothing in the series to Vancouver, and they made the ballsy move of starting Jake Allen and telling Bennington you're going to sit and play tomorrow instead. So maybe sometimes you do send that message. And then last player I really wanted to break down, and that's, of course, Nathan McKinnon. Let's look at his series so far. I mean, we saw just the classic Nathan McKinnon getting pissed off after Game 3, I think. He was frustrated just for putting, what, I think he had seven shots on goal. Not one of them went in. Um, You know, Nathan McKinnon got pissed. The team got pissed, and suddenly, you know, you see a 7-1 victory out of the Avalanche. A 7-1 victory and a ragdolling of Christian Fisher in the third period. He was, he did everything today physically on the score sheet. He dominated with the puck. He's he's really perfected that Forsberg, Forsberg reverse hit where he's got the puck and still knocks a guy on his ass that tries to, you know, challenge him. Uh so yeah, what I like about McKinnon now compared to maybe McKinnon a few years ago was McKinnon a few years ago when he starts to get frustrated will get in his head. McKinnon now when he starts to get frustrated just takes over games. Right, he's relaxed like we talked about on the top of the show when you asked him that question that went across the hockey world, you know, he was very cool about it. I mean, it was it was after a victory, so yeah, he's going to naturally be in a good mood, but you know, he's got that looseness to him uh, in these playoffs, I think, and he's not being the that angry jerky kind of McKinnon he's being more of the leader calm collected and and you know maybe even a little bit playful there and have you noticed how often in those post-game press conferences he's he's laughing and joking with the guy sitting around him uh when that when you know for example one time somebody asked Eric Johnson about his horse named Landeskog that you know won a race and McKinnon was sitting there going let's go and you know today when they were talking about uh, his his tussle with uh, Christian Fisher. He's over there laughing with Nieto and Calvert. He's he's just been a lot of fun and showing that he's he's always straight faced, ready to go. But at the same time, he's loosened up and he's he's taken a lot of pressure off of himself and not thinking about hockey one hundred percent of the time in a very robotic way, which is something that I think he does quite often, and it's not really healthy for him. So this is good to see him doing this. And then in regards to the fight, I know Jared Bednar was okay with it. He loves the tenacity out of Nathan McKinnon and but you've mentioned it a thousand times on this podcast and I know when I'm watching Nathan McKinnon fight the one thing going through my head is don't break your hand yeah. are you are you okay with him getting into those kind of tussles because I know from the past you've said oh it's great to have guys around so Nathan McKinnon doesn't have to do that well when he loses his cool and goes and does that you know what are your what are your sentiments about it so today he did exactly what he had to do to prove to Christian Fisher that you cannot mess with him and throw a cross check like that while at the same time not risking anything. And I think it was a very mature move on his end. And here's why. He didn't get a five-minute major for fighting. And the reason why he didn't get a five-minute major for fighting is because when he came to stick up for Landeskog, who was being headlocked by Christian Fisher, he pulled Fisher off of him. Fisher turns around and cross checks McKinnon in the, in the teeth. Total freakout mode. You don't do that to Nathan McKinnon. You don't do that to somebody who has a short temper like that. Nathan McKinnon went after him, grabbed him by the head, ragdolled him, spun him around, and threw him to the ice. He didn't throw any punches. Uh, he didn't do anything that could possibly lead to an injury. He simply showed him uh, and sort of put him in his place and asserted his status as Nathan McKinnon and pretty much embarrassed him by ragdolling him like that without throwing a punch or risking injury. 
Well, I'm glad he can be smart because the only thing going through my head is Connor McDavid right before he got out uh-huh. of juniors gets in a was fight. Was just going to mention that. Look at that. Look at you. Look at you. Look at us. We're on the same page. Hockey Mountain High crushing it over here. So, yeah, I think that's all I really have to talk about so far about this series. Of course, you know, we want to interact with you guys, and we love our listeners. So we want to introduce a little uh, segment that we're going to do just kind of tip our cap to our listeners. I don't want to be like every other podcast and have a weekly um, question session where you get two or three goofy questions that, you know, people don't even really care about the answers to anyway. But I do want to you know salute the listeners we got a, a good amount out there and they're our favorite part of this show so Arif, go ahead and introduce our next little tidbit to the show so you know maybe the name isn't really polished quite yet but i'm gonna go with our twitter fan highlight tweet and i'm gonna highlight the tweet of a fan that responds back to either myself or jj uh with something that is funny that is great that is knowledgeable just anything that piques my interest that catches our eyes Today I got a response from a from from a from one of my you know fo- followers that I very much appreciate and love, and I tweeted out the quote that McKinnon had post game where he said, "We outplayed them. They didn't have a shot on net until halfway through the first. And I got a response from at Morgan and Anna, and uh, her Twitter name is Avalanche Warning, and she said, "I'm really enjoying Nathan McKinnon's overt confidence in the playoffs. Usually he deflects to being humble. Love." Loving watching him take what's his. Hashtag go abs go. So basically McKinnon is out here like he has been all year, just stating the obvious and stating the obvious that we are a better team. We're a good team. We're putting up 50 shots a game. We're out here winning games. We're scoring seven goals. And uh, we outplayed them. They didn't have a shot on goal until halfway through the first period. He's being straightforward, Nathan McKinnon. It's my favorite type of Nathan McKinnon where he will be honest on the other end as well. You know, in, in the 2017 All-Star game when Nathan McKinnon showed up to the to the media availability for the All-Star game, he simply went up to the microphone and said, and looked at the media and said, I bet you guys weren't expecting to see a Colorado Avalanche player here because the Avalanche sucked. And now that they're good, he's openly said it all season and I just mentioned it. We truly believe that we can win this. And for the first time in my 70-year career, I feel like I have on I am on a team that can win it all. So I love that McKinnon. I love that that overt confidence that he has and, and, and just being straightforward and not always deflecting to the to the humbleness that hockey players have. I think the biggest impact something like that makes is in the minds of the opponents, whether it's the ones they're playing right now or the ones they're about to play. Not only is Nathan McKinnon able to go out there on the ice and prove it every single day that he is one of the NHL's best players, but now he believes it himself. Now he's telling everybody about it. If he's telling people how great he is and how strong he is and how you know he's a fitness test winner and he throws people around every day, other teams hear that, other teams watch that, and suddenly they start to get, oh yeah, we better be afraid of these guys. We better make sure we game plan for this guy extra hard because he's going to bring it and he's going to bring it hard. So, um, you know, again, you love the confidence. You see it throughout the entire team, but seeing it out of your star player, I think that's what you want. You would love to see Connor McDavid talk about how great he is and how fast he is and how strong he is, but you don't. And I think that's kind of where teams around the league, media around the league, fans kind of view McDavid as a little bit softer. There's no doubt in my mind there's not a single person in the NHL world that thinks Nathan McKinnon is soft after this series. I mean, before the series, there wasn't a guy in the world that thought Nathan McKinnon was soft. But, you know, 
that's that's a great conversation. It was a great tweet to get from Morgan, and that's at Morgan N A A N N A. Shout out to her. She's a big Avalanche fan, like I'm sure a lot of you guys are as well. Um, why else would you be listening to us? So uh, keep those tweets coming. Keep those responses coming. Uh, my Twitter mentions are always open, and I'm always down to interact with our listeners, and so is JJ. So. Keep them coming, and maybe you could be the next Twitter fan highlight. I don't even think that's the same title I gave it five minutes ago, but <laughs> we can highlight your tweet on our podcast because we want to be your go-to Avalanche podcast. And that brings us to our social media moment of the week. This week we're giving it to Nikita Zadorov for his comments last week um, towards ESPN. I think the Avalanche tweeted at him talking about an ESPN article uh, uh, regarding his attire and his clothes and his outfits. And Nikita Zadorov's response, of course, is, oh, I didn't realize ESPN's covering hockey now. Gotta love Just it. such a great burn from such a great guy that delivers burns. I mean, one of his best ones of all time. But, man, I really wish that we could hear more of him being mic'd up in a game. I bet you he's saying some of the funniest things to people, especially when he's getting in their face and they're he's, about he's, a whole foot smaller than him. He's a funny guy in the locker room, and he's a funny guy around the other players and the practice rink and stuff. So I could only imagine. He's a hell of a character. Shout out Nikita Zadorov, which brings us to the finale of our fantastic podcast like we do every episode. That's the Hockey Mountain High, Mile High Sports, three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, I'm going with Tuka Rask. Not necessarily because I agree with what he did. I understand what he did. I think, uh, I, you know, you really would hate to see a teammate just kind of leave his team in the middle of an important tournament like this. But, of course, he's got more important things going on, and it just takes a lot of nuts to step up to the NHL and just kind of say, look, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not enjoying it here. I'm out. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if there was a reason for if, if, if he truly felt like this was something for him, then maybe he would have stuck around. But you can tell that he just wasn't interested in it from the start. At the same time, he has a newborn that was born in April. So he's got a four month old sitting at home and uh, he's not there with his wife. So for a player that's getting up there in age, 31, 32 years old, you know, he was drafted the same season, the same year that Sidney Crosby was drafted. So he's getting up there. He's been around for a while. Um He's, he's never won the Stanley Cup as a starter. He's only won it as a backup in 2010. He's had two cracks at the can and lost them both. For someone to throw all that away on a team that you know has an opportunity to make it back to the Stanley Cup final takes a lot of guts, takes a lot of nuts, and and you know I, I, I applaud him for doing that and not just doing the hockey thing of you know you know taking one for the team even if it's you know hindering on your happiness. Well, the big reason I have him as star number three as well is, you know, I thought Boston was going to be one of the teams to make a run. I think without Tuka Rask, they're bowing out, and they're not going to be able to go too deep in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough what he had to, had to do, and imagine how much it would sting for the Avalanche. I mean, they've got Gabe Landeskog, Ian Cole, Nikita Zadorov all also have newborns. Imagine if one of those guys just decided that the, this wasn't for them and they were out. You know, it would hurt. It would it would sting the fan base, and it would sting it would the hurt. Team. It would hurt, but I wouldn't blame them. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. not. Never exactly. at all. I, I'm with you. It would just it would just really hurt and it would hurt the, the chances of the team going far. Missing a missing a key player like that. Star number two, and I'm going with my main man, Arif Dean. 
just for going viral. You know, I don't think the listeners understand how hard you've been trying to go viral, how hard you've been trying to get the rest of the hockey world to see you, hear your voice. While it wasn't noted, Arif Dean's question, you know, I think you put our podcast a little bit more on the map than it already was. So I appreciate you for that. You get second star of the week, Arif. The second star of the week isn't going to change the fact that you talk crap about my mic quality. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to have that kind of uh, slander on my mic. I do not have a good mic. I use the one that's built into my MacBook, uh, but I don't appreciate that. Uh, totally screwing with you. Um, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, the NHL tweeted it. The uh, the Avalanche tweeted it. I heard today they talked about it on Spit and Chicklet. So, you know, maybe my voice and my name weren't mentioned specifically, but at the same time... I got the quote of the day. I got the quote of the week. It felt friggin' awesome. I've been riding high from that, and you know, it sounds like a stupid little arrogance thing. You know, if it if, if that's what it's coming off as, it's not necessarily that. It's just this. These are the kind of breaks you need to sort of make it in this in this industry. And uh, I'm hoping this is one of many more to come, uh, along with the Kadri article I wrote back in December. So we'll see where it goes, but. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to elevate my name, my brand, Mile High Sports, and Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Hey, I just want to push you to be great. If your microphone is as good as mine, then, you know, we're, we're a great team. And that's what great teammates do is they push each <laughs> other. But my favorite moment of that interview with Nathan McKinnon is you could tell, you know, people have this nervous tick. And you see it all the time when they feel like they've said something uh, that might rub people the wrong way or, you know, that is going to get second thoughts right after he made that comment he opens his water bottle and takes a swig out of it not because he's thirsty but that's just a nervous tick people had yep. you could just tell he was kind of like oh well, maybe i shouldn't have gone that far with it but everybody was fine with it i loved it that's, the hockey that's why i went fitness testing every year you gotta love him <laughs> star number one mile high sports of the week i said that in the wrong order but it's getting late Nazem Kadri, we already broke it down. The way Stick he's playing taps. is just unbelievable. MVP caliber stuff. You want to see it continue, and you just love to see the mental strides he's taken. So shout out Nazem Kadri. Yeah, and I I actually do want to give him an a, a, an extra shout out, uh, just because of his. Uh, He's very much aware of things that happen around the world. And while he's out here playing hockey in Edmonton and he's got nine points in seven games, uh, there was an unfortunate incident and a bombing, um, an accidental bombing, if that's what you want to call it, in Beirut in Lebanon where his parents are from. And in the bubble in Edmonton focusing on a Stanley Cup final run, he's got the Nazem Kadri Foundation. He's got a platform on Twitter and on Instagram. And he went out of his way to uh provide provide a a, a a opportunity for people to donate uh proceedings that would go towards beirut towards all the people that are now homeless that lost their homes and i just think it's great to have somebody like that in the nhl we've already seen him join the hockey diversity alliance we see him doing these things and reaching back out to his country back home you know even though he wasn't born there even though he doesn't live there he still cares about his people in lebanon and i just love seeing nazim kadri so invested in all of these things in hockey in the avalanche in playing and being the best hockey player he can be in mentioning that what he mentioned today about being a more mature hockey player and a person and obviously in this outreach and in his care for Beirut and Lebanon so he deserves star number one for many reasons uh that's personally my reason why he does yeah it speaks to who he is right he just does him he doesn't care what people think he's just going to do what he thinks he needs to do and you got to respect somebody like that so on that note you know I think that's a good place to stop 
Uh, I don't really have anything else out there. You want to throw anything before we get out of here and wrap this baby up? That's all I got from my end. All right. Well, other than that, let us know how we're doing. Like, comment, subscribe on the podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Interact with us on Twitter. You can find me at JJ of the Year. Find Arif at Run Right Arif. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoy Game 5. Hopefully that's the end of it. And we'll be back here to wrap that, put a bow on the series and look ahead at the next one. So once again, thanks for listening to us. Hockey is for everyone. And we at you. Okay, okay,